Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Murrin, and welcome in to episode 10 of Forged in Ohio. Yes, we've officially arrived at episode 10. Forged in Ohio is in the double digits in terms of episodes, and it isn't going anywhere. The combat sports athlete joining me today is a 6-1 amateur mixed martial artist. He's won five fights in a row with a no contest mixed in there, and he's a two-time Ohio Combat League featherweight champion. He's also coming off of back-to-back third-round armbar finishes. He is Chris Porter. Thanks for coming in studio and coming on the show, and welcome to Forge in Ohio, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, let's get that right, 7-1. Seven and one. Well, six and one. No one con. One no contest. I still armbar him. So yeah, seven and one. I wanted to ask you about that no contest, and I guess I'll do it now since you brought it up. What exactly happened with the the no contest? There's a THC found in my urine, <laughs> but I mean I'm an athlete. I'm training hard. Yeah, I failed the drug test for smoking pot. So you still claim yourself as you know seven and one. Yeah. Got I'd you. call it a 7 <laughs> So I also wanted to clear something else up at the beginning of the podcast because you have fought at both featherweight and lightweight. Obviously, you have the difference of 10 pounds there. Do you have a preference going forward in terms of what weight class you compete in? Probably going to be featherweight. I only took that fight on a week notice because it was offered, and I was like, well, I'll fight him at lightweight. He, Are you talking about your most recent fight for yeah, B2? He, yeah, he was coming down from like 170, so I was like, all right, well, it's a week notice. Why cut? the weight for free so i fought at 155 did that weight discrepancy there in the moment feel you know any intimidation at all with him being at 170 you're usually at 145 you're meeting in the middle i mean no i've fought big strong people for a long time so it wasn't really anything so i mean if he was like 170 and we were fighting at 170 he'd probably be a lot bigger but you know it's it's a fight either way are you comfortable fighting at both weight classes for the future? Or are you really trying to stick more towards featherweight going on? I mean, my next fight will be pro, so I'm going to yeah. fight at 145. I'm already like, you know, 158, 150, you know, like around there. So, you know, I'm just going to fight at 145. Yeah, that's your walk around weight, I'm assuming. I got to cut a little bit of weight to get to 145, mm-hmm. but not too much. You get a lot of work in at RTSE Training Center. Do you consider that your primary gym, and what is it like getting to train there? It's really good. Uh, yeah, that's my gym. I train with, uh, we got Eric Pozon, Doogie Hauser, Devontae Smith, Marcus Crawford. So my coach, Ray Monteri. You know, we got a good group of guys up there. Good conditioning program, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, yeah. MMA, all that. What's it like having a guy like Devontae Kincaid-Smith in your corner who is an 11-4 and four pro with some UFC experience mixed in there? It's really good to have like high-level people to learn from and test yourself. So it's a good, I, you know, I get to fight him. It's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to fight good competition every day at the gym. I saw on your Instagram just a few days ago that you were getting in work with boxing coach Brandon Cunningham and Apex Boxing Clinic. What was that like to train with a boxing coach with the reputation that Cunningham has? Uh, it's really good. He keeps me keeps me focused. He keeps me on my on my toes when we're gone. So you know, he uh, went to Columbus with me, and I trained with Pedro Falcao, some of the other guys up there. You got Matias Nicolau. He's like number three in the UFC. I one twenty five. So he came up there and we got to train with those guys. 
uh, you know, got to get some work with him. What was training with uh, Nicolau like? It's good. You yeah. know, he's from Nova Uniao, Brazil, so you get to see a different kind of style coming in there. Is it common for you to go out to these other gyms, trainers and coaches to get other looks that, you know, could just help you develop into a better fighter? Well, I went to Vegas and I met like a lot of people. So now I could kind of go here, go there. I just got back from Hawaii. So I was training out there with some guys, but it's good. You know, good to have friends all over, get to go travel, train, get other looks. Training even on vacation, going to Hawaii. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, work doesn't stop. It's a lifestyle. So. Yeah, I keep on seeing on social media, even on Christmas Day, just last week, people were in the gym training on Christmas Day. I thought that was insane, but like you said, the work does not stop. I want to talk about your last fight a lot, but I wanted to ask you about two other fights. First, your only loss in April 2017. You lost via split decision at Caged Madness 47. I couldn't find any tape of the fight, but with it being a split decision, do you think you did enough to win that fight? I probably should have wrestled him more, but I was like 19 and stubborn, but... I mean, everybody else thinks I won the fight, but you didn't win the fight, so. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the past. You know, I'm only going forward. Do you let that loss affect you at all? I know it's an amateur loss in the moment. Maybe it affected you more than it does now. No. I mean, like, if anything, with that fight, I had his back. I had a body triangle on, and I kind of, like, rushed the finish. So it was a really big lesson of, like, don't rush in your fights and, like, be patient and don't gas out and, like, around like a lot of these other guys. Like a position over submission type. Just knowing, being aware of what you have in that moment. So like, you know, the fight could be finished right there, but if you rush, it won't be. Talking to Chris Porter on Forge in Ohio. Now let's talk about your last fight in May against Skylar King at B2 Fighting Series 160. King worked a lot in the clinch in the first and second rounds. How frustrating is that as a fighter when your opponent is staying in the clinch but not necessarily doing anything to cause any serious damage or advanced position? I don't know. Once I get the space and start fighting, but like if he wants to wrestle, we can wrestle too. But he didn't really do anything. He just kind of like held me there. Mm. And... You know, in that, like, situation, you have to really, like, focus on maybe hearing their breathing, seeing when to, you know, work, because he, he was bigger just a little bit. Not really, but, I mean, he's going to lay on me and try and hold me. So that once I heard him, like, you know, breathing a little heavier, I was just like, all right, well, you're going to gas out just holding me here, doing nothing. That was also your first fight for B2 Fighting Series, I believe. What was it like fighting for that promotion? It was really good. They have, like, good camera crew. They took care of their fighters. It was in Georgia, so it was cool. I get to, like, travel a little bit. But I think that fight kind of meant the most to me because there was a, like, little accident that I had where, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to continue fighting. But, you know, I wanted to. <laughs> so, I mean, doctors said that I probably shouldn't, but I'm over that now. So I just overcome it, go out there and fight on a week notice. People that know about what I'm talking about know about it, but people that don't, they don't. <laughs> I understand if you don't want to talk about it, but was it some type of injury, a mental nah, thing? It was just like I was going through something. You'd call it an injury, but, you know, you're going to quit or you're going to keep going with it. So. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad that you're keeping going with it and still fighting in, in M MMA. Uh, going I mean, back I to wasn't going to stop anyway. You just got to take some time off. Just time off. How long were you off? Well, that fight was like a year, so probably like nine months. Now, were you training during that nine months, or was yeah, it just completely? Yeah, I, I was training, but it was just like, you know, your body was not acting how it should. You got to work with what you got. And then, you know, I uh, 
like I said, just kind of kept working through it, and then before you know it, you're you're ready to go. I know that Skylar King fight means even more to you with those circumstances going into it. Uh, I believe it was kind of knotted 1-1 going into the third round. What was your corner saying to you between rounds going into that third round, knowing that it was likely a round apiece? Well, after round two, I kind of put it on him pretty good at the end of round two. Mm -hmm. So they just said kind of, you know, keep whooping his ass, basically. (laughs) But uh, I have this thing where it's like a lot of MMA fighters throw these like sloppy kicks. So I think like I'm going to make you pay for those sloppy kicks. So he threw a sloppy kick. And I was sharp on the counter and got him out of there. And then it's like when I hit him, he kind of like was in on a single leg. So I just rolled back for a triangle and like finished it triangle arm bar. Yeah. And you're, you mentioned his sloppy kicks. You have amazing kicks. I've noticed that in uh, your last fight, especially against King in the first and second rounds. Do you pride yourself on having kind of a balanced game, both striking, wrestling, and even kicks there too? Yeah. I mean... Nowadays, you can't be like a one-dimensional fighter, so you got to be prepared for everything in the fight. Wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, footwork. You know, you got to have like high fight IQ. You can't just go out there and just fight. Do you enjoy the circumstances you experienced in your last fight where, you know, the winner can come down to who wants it more and it can become a war within a round like it kind of was in that third round for you? Yeah, it's kind of when you need a like high fight IQ. <laughs> you need to know like you know, what to do in those situations to get him out of there, so. How confident were you going into that third round that you were going to be able to win the fight, nonetheless, you know, get him out of there and finish it? I just said you'll just make a mistake. He'll make a mistake before I will, so capitalize. You landed that huge left hand, eventually got the armbar submission. I also noticed your sportsmanship after the fight with King. Have you always been that respectful of your opponents in your career? I mean, sometimes, but... Losing sucks. So, like, you know, I've been there before where I've lost. So, I mean, we're all chasing the same thing. You know, it's it's personal, but at the same time, it's... At the end of the day, it's like my dream versus your dream. So I kind of got to flip the switch and beat you up a little bit. But, you know, it's all respect at the end of it. Yeah, and I imagine sharing a fight like you did with King kind of makes it more of a respectful atmosphere after the fight. Have you ever had fights in your career? You know, you said you're you're seven and one. Have you had fights where you are kind of rivals with the guy that you're going to the cage with? I mean, I'm kind of like a not really. I wouldn't call it like a rivalry, but it's like a chip on my shoulder. You know, I I got it, you got it. We're gonna fight each other, so we could sugarcoat it. But at the end of the day. You're trying to, like, knock me out in front of my family and friends. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it is kind of personal. That win over Skylar King was your fourth win via armbar and fifth via submission in your eight-fight career. How in the world have you been able to get so many armbars in your amateur fights? They keep making fundamental mistakes, and they're just not really, like, aware of what, what they're doing. And it's kind of like you're putting your arm in a spot where you're going to get arm barred. Somebody who knows how to grapple will probably going to arm bar it. <laughs> is it something that you do a lot in practice and in the gym, or is it something that you're just noticing in the cage? I mean, they take you down. You either need to sweep, submit, or get up. So, you know, if you get taken down and you end up in, like, side control, okay, you got to get your half guard, full guard, or try and get up. So I just kind of get my full guard and then just go from there, whether it's get up or sweep, submit. 
the armbar has been your signature submission easily in your amateur career. Do you plan on, you know, keeping that a signature submission in your pro career as you plan on turning pro? I mean, I want to get some knockouts because in Ohio you can't uh, head kick, you can't knee to the face, you can't elbow, and I like to do all that. So kind of takes away some of your game. But, you know, when I go pro, it's – I'm just going to use whatever wins the fight. <laughs> but again, you got to be prepared for anything. You mentioned those rule sets in Ohio, and I know your last fight was in Georgia for B2. Do those rules ever get kind of confusing or maybe even anger you, knowing that you can't do certain things in some fights, where in others you can use a wide range of, of strikes? Uh, I wouldn't say that. One thing I liked about fighting in Georgia is, like with those more advanced rules, the cage was bigger. So, like, in Ohio, they got, like, a lot of small cages. So if you want to go out there and, like, stand up with somebody, you take, like, three-step backs or something like that, your back's against the cage. So it was cool to have, like, you know, a little bigger cage where you can move around. Yeah, and in B2, it's not really a octagon, yeah, right? It's more I of like a circle, that. right? It was cool. How does that really affect? I know in grappling exchanges, you know, putting yourself against the cage in the corners, you know, that makes a big difference. Did you notice any of that in that fight? Oh, uh, No. I mean, as a fighter, you should be able to adapt anywhere, whether it's in the cage, ring, parking lot, <laughs> stall, whatever you got, you know. Yeah. If you fight, you fight anywhere, so just adapt. Devontae Smith, in your corner for that last fight out of, you know, RTSC Training Center, he was talking in your post-fight interview that, you know, he was just trying to calm you down, calm people in the gym down when it comes to these big stages and these bright lights. How have you experienced a lot of stress, anxiety, and nerves going into these fights, or... For you, is it just another day of work going into the cage? I mean, fighting is kind of stressful, but, you know, uh, it was just kind of like that was a big fight for me. So it was like it meant a lot, and, you know, I wanted to showcase what I could do. (laughs) So it was was good. But, I mean, I don't really get that nervous with it. At the end of the day, you're just doing what you should do every day anyway. Train hard, you know, fight. Train hard, the fight should be easy. For all my fights, I train I train hard, so I'm not worried about it. I also wanted to ask you about a story that was kind of told on a recent episode of Forge in Ohio with Jason Jaguar Jones, kind of put us in contact with, with one another at least. He told me a story of how you kind of got him into MMA. Tell me more about what, what exactly happened. All right, so I was in high school, and at the time, like, people knew I trained and fought a little bit, but not really. So anyway... I fought this dude after school, and we were fighting, and I started hitting him with head kicks. And then he, like, he popped the trunk, and he chased me around with an ice scraper. And then the only person who backed me up was Jason. <laughs> so then I was like, well, damn, at least he's got your back. So then from there he was like, he was, you know, he really wanted to train and learn. So I kind of just pointed him in the right direction and now he's you know he's got more fights than me <laughs> yeah he's doing insane things he's in the world good. of kickboxing so he chased you around with an ice scraper did you have the speed advantage there yeah because like i'm running i could hear him talking he wasn't saying anything nice but uh then i didn't hear him anymore so i turned around and jason was you know beating him up but you know i thought it was a bat so like when i saw him pop the trunk i was like well, he's probably getting something. Mm. So I turned around and ran. I wasn't trying to get hit with a bat. You said you landed a head kick, you know, a back couple. in the school brawls. Like, I imagine those are mostly punches throw, not much technique, but landing a head kick, how in the world did you do that? I mean, I'm used to fighting the, you know, 
good fighters. So then I got into a street fight, and yeah, he wasn't that good. But, you know, I was young, but, you know, the dude slapped me. So kind of got to do what you got to do. So that's the story of how you got Jason Jaguar Jones into mixed martial arts, kickboxing, Muay Thai. How did you yourself get into the fight game? I just kind of started with some friends, and they all quit, and I stuck with it. Once I moved out of Ohio, or not out of Ohio, out of Cuyahoga Falls, I moved to, like, Hinkley, Brunswick area, and the only gym out there was Evolve MMA with, like, John Cook, you know, under... There was a lot of people there. <laughs> I'm not even going to start naming how many people were there. but So I started at like 15 when I trained with a bunch of killers ever since then. So <laughs> it's good. I've been, I've been lucky to, to be where I'm at and training with those people. You said you started with a lot of friends and then a lot of your friends kind of quit. You kept going. Was it hard for you to keep going in those times where all your friends weren't? Or was it kind of easier for you to keep on going on this path of being a fighter? So basically I... Moved out of Cuyahoga Falls, and then once I got to Hinkley, it was like it was new. I didn't know anybody. So I still went to school in Cuyahoga Falls, but then after school, you know, I'd, I'd come home and I'd get bored, wanted to, like, you know, meet some friends and everything. So then I went to Evolve, and those were, you know, where my new friends were at. So then every time I'd come home from school, I'd go, go train. And sometimes, it, you know, you don't even think that you're training. You're just going to hang out with your friends, but they're all at the gym training. So then... You know, I'd train, and that was it, just every day. And you said that was in 2015. Your first amateur fight was in 2016 against Derek Slicker at IT Fight Series 47. Going into that fight, any nerves going into your first amateur fight, or did you feel prepared with the group you had around you? Well, I got to evolve in, like, 2013. By the time my first fight came around, I already had two boxing matches. So when I fought that Derek guy, I was still young but I was pretty experienced for my age. Did you know you wanted to do mixed martial arts instead of boxing, knowing those first two fights were in boxing? It's, it's good to compete in everything. So they just said, do you want to box? And I was like, well, at least nobody's kicking me and trying to take me down. So I started boxing for a little bit. I got five boxing matches. How have those boxing matches gone? Uh, pretty good, um, two and three boxing, but I mean, I'm not a boxer. So okay. come out there and fight. It was good. But those were also like a long time ago. So I've gotten a lot better since then. Once again, this is Chris Porter with us on Forge in Ohio. You're 6-1 and one or 7-1, and one, have won five fights in a row, and are a two-time Ohio Combat League featherweight champion. There's been a lot of talk about turning professional rather than going for any other amateur gold. Is that officially the next move for you? Oh, uh, yeah. I've kind of done everything to do as an amateur. You know, at one point I was number one in two weight classes, but I don't really care about those, like, rankings and stuff. But I won two belts. I was at the top of the, you know, top of the list at your weight class, so I'm like, all right, well, now I want to go pro. Do the same thing, get some money. That last fight was back in May. Is there a reason for the layoff, and when do you actually want to get back in there as a professional mixed martial artist? I've just been kind of training hard. I'm not in a rush, so... But this year, I'm hoping to at least get like three, four fights. And three, then, four fights, almost 2023 20, at the time of this recording. When do you want to get back in there? Very, very soon, but as a pro. So I don't want to do any more amateur stuff. So I'd like to like February, March, but it's probably going to be towards like March, something like that. 
Do you think you'll have a hard time finding an opponent for your professional debut, or is that not really a, a thing when you're turning pro, wiping your record at 0-0? Zero and zero? Everybody wants to see a fight, so there's plenty of fighters, whether it's Ohio or here or there. But I don't know. I'm just going to keep training and stay ready, and then my coaches will tell me when, when I'm fighting and who I'm fighting. Your username on Instagram is Spanish for future world champion. Why did you decide on that, and is that the goal in your career? I just thought the name kind of sounded cool, and I didn't want people finding me. So I'm like, you know, hey, unless you yeah. have find my username, which, you know, you'll find me then. But at the time, it was just something basic like Chris Porter. This, you know, I could come up with something more creative than that, and then just kind of never changing it, and that was really it. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead and say it? Because I might be able to say it, but probably not. It. It's nearly Vitoro Campeon del Mundo. One more time? Vitoro Campeon del Mundo. Yeah, I would have so. totally messed that up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not Spanish or anything like that. It just sounded cool. And I want to be a world champ, so. Also, like, that's your at, but then your actual name is in a completely different language. I think maybe Japanese or something like that. Oh, that just says Porterhouse. That just says Porterhouse? Yeah. When is I was that younger, a nickname of yours? or? Yeah, I played football, and... My coaches would be like, let's go Porterhouse. And I'd go out there and run into kids when I was playing football. But it was one of my fights, and I was in, in, like the, in my corner in between rounds, and my coach was telling me something. And then somebody in the front row was like, let's go Porterhouse. So I was like, wow, that's funny you, you call me that. <laughs> but I don't know, I just I, I need to get like a, a nickname. I don't have anything, so. Yeah, I was going to ask, you don't have a nickname yet, but you're creating these very unique and interesting <laughs> names on social media. Yeah. What are we going to do about that nickname? I don't know. I'm going to come up with something. Yeah. Sell some shirts. Are you going to try and do that before you turn pro or just when it comes to you, you know, it comes to you? I mean, whenever it comes to me, I just want to go out there and compete. You said you were going to be a UFC champ in your last post-fight interview. When it comes to promotions, is it UFC or nothing for you or would you be interested in you know going anywhere you knowing that there's money in other promotions i mean if there's money in other promotions i'll go with who's paying <laughs> mm -hmm. nowadays you know looking at the mma space you know you have your ufc but you also have your bellators and pfls and especially pfl they have a completely different format with a tournament style does something like that intrigue you more than what the ufc offers or to you is that not even in your mind yet that's not really in my mind. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, take it one fight at a time, whether it's, you know, if the next one's B2, that's what I'm focused on is B2. Or if the next one's BCM, that's what I'm focused on. So I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Most fighters I've interviewed have aspirations to be a world champion one day. What makes you, Chris Porter, unique from everyone else to where you can achieve that goal? I mean... I got a lot of mat time, so I've trained, like, every day since I was, like, 15. Uh, I used to do stuff, but now it's just kind of train. <laughs> so I still need to remember to, like, do stuff that you enjoy outside of the gym. You know, I've had injuries from overtraining, so. Yeah, that sounds like a hard lifestyle, training every day, going at it like that. Have you struggled with that, you know, finding time to do things that you enjoy? Well, when I was, like, first starting this my parents kind of gave me an ultimatum and it was like do you want to go the college route or go the fight route so I said I'm going to go the fight route and then they were like well you need to treat it like a full-time job then so for a lot of years I've been 
treating it like a full-time job. I went to a personal training school. I'm also like certified to do auto collision repair, but I don't use those as far as I'm not chasing that any, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to fight and be able to train and, you know, teach people. Now, it sounds like your parents were very supportive in you going down the fight game route, but I'm sure, you know, other parents might not be, it might kind of caution their child or, you know, kid to get away from the fight game. Is that kind of something that surprised you when you started out that they were supportive of what you wanted to do? I think they just saw how, how it was affecting me, like, positively, yeah. you know, positively. So then I'd go to um, school, I'd do really well. And before I was training, I wasn't doing very good in school. I was getting in trouble. So once I started training, you know, it kept me out of trouble and gave me a passion. And, you know, people go their whole life and they don't find something that they love. And, you know, I love training. I love all this. You also mentioned training people. Is that something you've gotten into already, training people? Or is that something you want to do in the future? Oh, I've trained people for a long time. At one point when I was, I was just training people and then train all day. So train people and then train all day. You know, I had my own like little clients, I still do. So, you know, I train them like kickboxing or boxing and jujitsu. Have you cornered anybody that you've trained in any of their fights? I've cornered quite a bit of people, yeah. Uh, I remember when I was like way younger, <laughs> I uh, went to West Virginia and I cornered Izzy Williams. And if you know who Izzy Williams is, he's a really good fighter so for me being as young as I was it was cool to be able to go out there and corner a guy like that uh I've cornered Demonte Robinson when he fought for uh XFC I fought um what who else Jacob Bostic I've cornered him a couple times Christian Perello I've cornered him a couple times so Nick Walls my boy uh cornered him a couple times so it's cool because it's like you still are in that like zone but you're not fighting right your friends are but Sometimes you get more nervous watching your friends fight than your own fights. <laughs> yeah, talk to me more about like the nerves of doing that, you know, seeing the people that you have either trained with or trained go in there and fight, and there's not much you can do about it just being in the corner. Of course, you can give advice, but in terms of actually throwing strikes, you can't really yeah. do that. What is that experience like? Uh, it brings you a lot closer to your teammates, and, you know, whenever you have those people in your corner. Because I know before my fights, I really, like, observe everything around me. You know, who's with me and, you know, who's really, like, invested in your in your fight career. So it's good to have, you know, good training partners and good friends around, good coaches. Yeah, and you said you, at a young age, you cornered Izzy Williams for a fight. Was that a huge, like, learning experience going out there, kind of seeing the stage of that fight before you actually uh, started competing yourself? Yeah, it was really cool because you know, warming him up on the mitts and then going out there and he's throwing those same combinations. It's just cool. It's like humbling that you're like, I wouldn't call myself a young kid, but you know, at the time when I first started, I was a young kid. So I kind of like worked my way up with these guys and still training with them, still got them in my corner. Well, thanks again, Chris, for coming on Forge in Ohio and for making your way in studio as well. Before I let you go, I do this chant and every interview on Forge in Ohio, it goes like this. O-H? I-O. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Hopefully you had a happy holidays, have a better new year, good luck in training, and I'm excited to see you in action in 2023 as a pro. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
that was Chris Porter, again, the 6-1 or 7-1 amateur lightweight fighter who has four signature wins by armbar and finds himself on a five-fight win streak. That'll do it for episode 10 of Forge in Ohio, and what a 10 episodes it has been for the program. I appreciate all the support I've received, and I look forward to the next 10 interviews and even the next 10 after that because you know I'm not going anywhere. Until next week's interview, though, don't forget to follow, share, and download this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I've been your host, Jake Murrin, and this was Forged in Ohio.